couple of nights ago, I traveled into Lakewood for a wedding being made by a very close friend of mine with whom I studied Choshen Mishpat and Ebenezer for about 10 years. Got to the wedding about a half hour early, so I took advantage of the fact that I found myself in a city with a farm store. So I, so I ran into the nearest farm store. I scoured the shelves looking for interesting things to buy. One of my treasures, one of the things I picked up, was two volumes of the contemporary work, Sheilas Uchuvos Kisos Lebeis David. This is a two-volume set of Sheilas Uchuvos on Choshen Mishpat, on civil law, by a contemporary rabbi in Antwerp, Belgium. His name is Rabbi Yaakov David Schmal. I actually was serendipitous because I have fond memories of hanging around in the BMG library with my friend Yisrael, going through Svarim we found on the shelves, including this one, the Kisos Lebeis David, and we would sit there analyzing, analyzing either his own copy or the library's copy, analyzing some of these chuvas, uh, having a great deal of uh, productive, and interesting, productive and interesting times considering the, the analysis in some of these chuvas. So when I brought it home, I took a look through to see, uh, see what caught my eye, and we're going to study one of his chuvas tonight. The chuva is a very contemporary one. It concerns a virus, a computer virus, not a coronavirus, a computer virus that caused damage to the infected computer. And the question is, is there civil liability in Bastin for the person, for the bad actor who damaged his friend's computer by sending him a virus? I don't know that much about Rabbi Shmuel. His, uh, his chuvas are extremely lucid. Extremely, uh, they're extremely clear and easy to follow. Don't always agree with everything he says, but he has a he has a logical mind. He is uh, very well versed in Choshen Mishpat, and as we'll see from the tshuva, we'll we'll go through pretty much his entire tshuva, and we'll see how he dissects the the question that he was asked. He was asked a question by a rabbi, another European rabbi, a rabbi, the Rav of Rotterdam. He's a member of the based in He, Rabbi Shmuel is the member of a based in Antwerp. He was asked this question by a rabbi from Rotterdam. The question was, somebody sent a virus, Vav Yud Reish Vav Samach, that's virus, Al Yudei email, email uh, translate, also transliterates pretty cleanly into, from a Hebrew into English, to a computer, another easy transliteration, to his friend. Someone sent a virus via email to the recipient's computer, and he articulates, the, he explains the question in a little more detail in the body of the tshuva, that was the title. In the body of the she'ela, the question was, he said he spoke about it with this other rabbi, they, they spoke about it in person, it sounds like. Someone sent a virus by email, Ruvain sent a virus by email to Shimon. Shimon opened his email, Pasach HaDoar, Doar Elokhtrani they call it, I think. The virus entered the computer, and husku kala tachniot shebetocha computer. What kind of damage was caused by this virus? The tachniot, which I think are programs on the recipient's computer, were damaged by the virus. Typically, the damage a virus causes is to the data. The damage to the data is often more serious than damage to the programs. Programs can be reinstalled. Data, if you have good backups, that's one thing. If you don't have good backups, you may lose priceless data. But in any event, the recipient's systems were damaged by the, by the virus, 
Is Ruvain the sender Chayev for what he's done? Now, in the first paragraph of the Tshuva, Rabbi Shmuel is going to explain to us what viruses are, briefly, and how they operate. There is one glaring omission from this Tshuva. He's probably taking it for granted, I'm not sure. There is one glaring omission from the Tshuva, which is that, unless I missed a, a crucial line somewhere, nowhere does he explicitly say whether the sending of this virus was deliberate or not. Was it a malicious act by Ruvain intending to harm Shimon? Or did he unfortunately forward uh, a virus email, that he, a virus-laden email that he received on his own from someone else? Not in, as far as I could tell, there is no explicit discussion of this point throughout the tshuva, and it is potentially of great importance. It seems to me that he's assuming that it was deliberate, but not entirely clear. In any event, all, we, all we're told so far is that Ruvain sent a virus via email to Shimon. Shimon's programs on his computer were damaged. Is Ruvain Chayer for the damage? So, logically enough, Rabbi Shmuel begins, Tshuva, Reish is kol. the first order of business is, Yesh l'machashvim, mahu mahu virus. We have to ask computer experts, what exactly is a virus? Alright, so we did. He asked an expert, please tell me what is a virus. So the expert told him, virus is a program, which is a tochnit. Okay, we know what those are. The, the program contains hora'ot lahazik ulakalkel. It contains instructions to cause damage and harm. It's uh, malicious code, as we say, that is designed to damage the recipient's computer. When the recipient opens his email, the virus enters via koacha electri, via electronic, via electric and electronic powers, whatever those are respectively. The virus enters the computer. It then carries out its instructions and it causes damage to the recipient computer. And for Rabbi Shmuel, the, the crucial aspect, the crucial facet of its behavior that concerns us here is that the virus mikach atmo ena yachal hazik. The virus, the virus cannot operate on its own. It has to be given power to be activated. It has to be, has to be, give, has to be invited into your system. Post law Adelas, you have to open the door, he says, figuratively, for it to enter your computer. And he'll explain more in detail what that means exactly, but he says, basically, as we'll see throughout the tshuva, is that the way he's looking at it is, the recipient has to download his email. He has to click on his email. He has to open his email to activate the virus. When he's emailed, without him participating, the email itself is not going to cause any harm as long as it just sits there dormant. We require the we require the the, the recipient to open to click on the email to trigger the trigger the execution of the hostile code in the virus. This is what they always warn you about: don't open suspicious attachments, don't open suspicious emails. Unfortunately, Shimon in this case did open a suspicious attachment. Maybe it wasn't suspicious, but he did open this email, did open this attachment, whatever it was. The virus was triggered, and it caused him damage. Says Rabbi Shmuel, L'chein yesh levarer al pi ha'alacha, im yesh l'chayev es Ruvain b'chiyagavn. It's Ruvain chayev for sending Shimon a virus-laden email, which Shimon chose to open, and then caused damage to his system. So, Rabbi Shmuel begins by, the bulk of his tshuva really consists of citing several 
basic Talmudic rules, none of which obviously deal directly with viruses or anything with high-tech. They deal with animals and uh, eating grain and so on. But uh, as in all Talmudic reasoning, when they invented incandescent lights and computers and they had to discuss whether you can use them on Shabbos, they tried to find parallels between all kinds of, uh, all kinds of pre-modern activities, pre-modern technologies, and that's what we do here. In, in this context as well, we try to find some of the basic principles of Chosh and Mishpat that are established in various contexts that are removed from email and then email and viruses and then try to fit email and viruses into those paradigms. So the first one he brings is a Mishnah and a discussion of the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Mishnah discusses if somebody incites an animal, incites a dog or incites a snake, dangerous animals, animals that can cause harm, he incites them to, to, to injure someone else. He, uh, he provokes a snake into biting someone. He provokes a dog into biting, into biting someone. So the, the mission distinguishes between mere incitement or between cases where he actually takes the snake and places its teeth on somebody else to bite him. But either way, we paskin, to, to simplify things, we paskin that you're always potter. We paskin that even though, even though you, you are the the fairly direct cause of the damage here. You provoke the snake, you incited the snake, you, uh, you sick the snake on the, on the person, you sick the dog on the person, you are still chayef. Now we know, of course, we know from Pashas Mishpatim, from Bavakama, we know that there, there are many halachas. Half of Bavakama is about the halachas of a person to animal that causes injury. If your ox, or the famous my ox goring your ox, and all that, we know, of course, that if your animal causes damage, you are chayef in many cases. The issue here is that those halachas are specific to where the animal is yours. Your dog gets out and bites someone. Your ox uh, wanders out and eats somebody else's turnips, or whatever oxes eat. But uh, here the issue is it's not your dog, it's not your, it's not your snake. You just caused a third-party snake, a wild snake or a third-party snake, you caused the snake or the dog to cause damage. It's not your dog, it's not your snake, and therefore you are putter. Again, maybe a little counterintuitive. The fact is that you're the one who, clearly in a moral sense, you're chayev. You're the one who, who provoked a snake or a dog that was minding its own business into uh, injuring someone else. Nevertheless, this is the theme of, the, of much of the laws of Nezikin, of damages, and this is the theme that Rabbi Shmuel is grappling with tonight. The, not every case where you're morally at fault does your level of culpability rise to the level of civil liability? There are many cases where, intuitively, it's obvious and it's correct. It's, it's correct to view such a person as a scoundrel, as someone who's even chayev lotzes de shemayim. In heaven, they'll hold him responsible for this. But Bedine Adam, in, uh, in human court, in human law, he is not chayev. So these cases of the inciting the snake, inciting the dog, you are potter, so Rabbi Shmuel argues that maybe, maybe uh, placing a tempting-looking email in, in someone's mailbox and, uh, where he then opens it and goes zap and it zaps his computer, you're going to be potter because that's, it's, it's kind of like inciting a snake or inciting a dog. Now Rabbi Shmuel says we have a problem. That it's not so simple because there's another halacha that seems to contradict this. The halacha is... If I find a, uh, a deer, deer wandering the streets in Camille, I take the deer, I pick it up, I tuck it under my arm, 
I walk over to my neighbor's lawn where he has tulips growing. I take the deer, I drop it down. I say, here, deer, here are some tulips. And I drop the deer down on the tulips. I am chayev. The, I'm chayev for, for, for causing the deer to eat someone else's flowers. So how is that consistent with the previous halacha of the dog and the, the dog and the snake? I get the dog and the snake to bite somebody, I'm putter. I get the deer to eat the tulips, I am chayev. What's the difference? So Rabbi Shmuel brings from the Sefer Evan HaOzer, uh, Rabbi Ozer, a uh, distinguished achron, he says the difference is how certain it is that the animal will do the, the harmful act that it ended up doing. In the case of the deer that eats tulips, deer always eat tulips. Deer like eating tulips. There's no reason the deer shouldn't eat the tulip. So then, since it's called Bari Hezekah, the damage is certain, the damage is a foregone conclusion. There we say that the person who dropped the deer onto the tulips is Chayev. In the case of the snake and the dog, they're not eating because they're hungry. They're eating because they're provoked, because you got them annoyed, you got them uh, agitated. In those cases, in those cases, the, in those cases, it's not Bari Hezeka. We assume that the damage is presumed to be less certain, less definite. And therefore, in those cases, we say that it's, uh, it's La Bari Hezeka, and that's why we say Mishasa Kelev and Meshach Nachash. Those cases, you're potter because the Hezek is not Bari. So that is the so that's so that's the next stage of Rabbi Shmuel's analysis. We have a distinction between bari hezeka and not bari hezeka. When the damage is certain, is presumed to be a foregone conclusion, then you're chayev. When the damage is not certain, then you are potter. So our virus, he says, it would uh, we'd have to uh, look at it uh, based on that uh, criterion. Is the damage called bari hezeka or not? In all likely, it is bari hezeka, but the in any event, he says that th- th- this, is, th- this is stage two of his analysis. We started with Shisabos HaKelev, Shisabos HaNachash, that, uh, that those cases are putter. We then brought Mamid Behemoth. If you take a deer, you take a cow, and you put it on top of somebody's produce and it eats it, then you're chayev. The difference, he is, the difference he determines is whether it is Bari Hazeka or Lav Bari Hazeka. And therefore, he says, at this point in his analysis, it would follow that the question of whether the question of whether the whether the person is chayev or potter for sending the virus would depend on whether it is bari hazeka or not bari hazeka. Now, however, he goes along and he brings in a another pair of sources, another pair of, of Talmudic uh, sources, which complicate matters further. There is a somewhat puzzling Gemara in Babakama, where the laws of torts and of mazik and my ox goring your ox are discussed. The Talmud has a somewhat uh, perplexing din. It says that if someone places poison in front of an animal, in front of his friend's animal, and the animal trots over and eats the poison and dies or becomes injured, so the person who, the person who set the poison is potter. To be more precise, he's potter bedine adam. There's no civil liability in Bastin. He's chayav bedine shemayim. He still has moral liability. God holds him liable. We, we, we expect him, he, he has a moral duty to compensate his victim. But that chayav is not actionable in Bastin. This is an interesting philosophical question, why the halacha works this way. I mentioned this earlier. There are many cases, generally cases of grama, of indirect causation of harm, 
where the rule is that even though we hold you morally culpable and we expect you to pay and God expects you to pay, the halacha does not authorize Bastin to issue a, an enforceable judgment against the person. You're patr b'dine adam. Why the Torah sets itself up like that is a, is a question I never, really, I never really figured out the answer to. But that's how halacha works in Choshen Mishpat a lot. There are many cases where there is moral culpability but no, no enforceable liability. And this case of nosin tamamavas lefnei behemas chavero, someone who placed poison in front of his friend's animal, he is potter. Why is he potter? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says that it is hayala shlotochel. Rav says as far, the animal shouldn't have eaten it. The animal decided to eat it. That, that's on it. It decided to eat it. The, the, the mazik, the person who put the poison down, is not chayev. The animal made, the animal made its own decision to, uh, to eat the poison. Therefore, it and its owner have to live with the consequences. They can't assign blame in a, again, in a formal, enforceable sense. They certainly could assign blame in a moral sense, but in a formal, legal sense, they can't place blame on the person who put down the poison because, because, we say the animal actively made its own decision to eat the poison, and therefore we cannot hold the person who put the poison down liable. Again, a very, a very odd-sounding din. We consider someone who poisons someone's drink to be a murderer in general, and in modern, you know, modern law, we'd consider that murder, I think. But in halacha, if someone places poison in front of someone else, and the person picks it up and eats it, and drinks it, and consumes it, and ingests it in some way, the poisoner is potter, because the person who ate it, the animal that ate it, did so on its own. It actively brought the, the damaging substance into contact with itself, and therefore we cannot hold, we cannot hold the, we cannot hold the, the, the poisoner liable. So again, Rabbi Shemal says, again, we have to understand what's the difference between, between these cases, uh, how do we understand why the poisoner is potter, and the other case of putting the deer on top of the tulips, Yuchayev. So again, and then the distinction is the same distinction we just said, because in the case of the tulips, the victim, the owner of the flowers, didn't do anything to bring the deer on itself. The, so he didn't do anything. The, the victim played no part in his... Uh, the victim play, played no part in the, in the catastrophe. Therefore, he has the right to hold the person who brought the deer in liable for the damage. But in, in the case of the, of the poison, the, we blame the victim. We say, you, the victim, you ate the poison, your animal ate the poison, and therefore, this is the rule, at least as Tosis explains it, that any time the victim actively brought the harm upon itself, even though it's not its fault, even though it's an animal that doesn't know any better, even humans can ingest poison. They, I'm not sure who generally knows more about poisons, human or animal, humans or animals, but either way, even though, it's, even though it's not really the fault of the victim, in a sense, of, we're not blaming him for carelessness necessarily, but nevertheless, in a, in a formal legal sense, it actively caused the harm to itself, even though the even though it was a even though it was a stumbling block that was put there by someone else, nevertheless, since the harm was actively brought upon itself by the by the by the victim, by the victim's animal, therefore we cannot assign liability to the person who put the poison there. Therefore, says Rabbi Shmuel, insofar as we accept this rule, we would say the same thing. He feels we should say the same thing about the virus. Ruven sends Shimon a virus. Shimon clicks on his email, downloads the email, opens the email, and 
brings the virus, uh, activates the virus, triggers it, and it wreaks havoc in his computer. He says that is exactly like the poison case. The virus is like the poison. Ruvain who sent the virus is like the person who put the poison down. Shimon who downloaded the email on the virus is like the, the animal or the person who consumed the poison, even though it's not his fault. It's exactly like Nosin Samuel from Bahamas Javero, and he should be putter. So, so, the, so the pendulum swings back and forth. The poor fourth, the seesaw goes up and down. At this point, again, this is our third case. We've had inciting animals, uh, snakes and dogs, that you're putter. We've had Mamid Behemah al Kamas Javero. You place the deer on the tulip. That's Chayev. Now we have the third case. You put poison in front of an animal. That's putter. At this point, Rabbi Shmuel thinks that the virus is exactly like the case of someone who puts poison in the path of his friend's animal, and he therefore will be putter. Uh, there's a similar discussion I saw years ago in the Sefer Shimru Mishpat of Rabbi Shlomo Zafrani, a distinguished dying in Yerushalayim, I think. He talks about a case of a bakery that apparently exercised poor quality control and left a, a pebble, a rock of some sort, in a baked good. A customer of the bakery bit into the, the baked good with the rock and injured its, uh, injured its tooth. So Rabbi Zafrani has various arguments for or against holding the bakery liable, one of which is, again, this issue. If a person, even if, even if the person is clearly morally culpable by putting the, the, the problem in the way, putting poison in the way, putting a virus in the way, putting a rock into his bagel, nevertheless, the, the proximate cause of the harm is the victim himself. He's the one who bit into the bagel and uh, injured a tooth. Nevertheless, therefore, the, Rabbi Zafrani also suggests he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't conclude this way, but he also suggests that, that we could say, we blame the victim, and we say that we will not hold the, the, we will not hold the person who caused the problem by, by leaving the rock there liable. However, once again, Rav Shmuel now turns around. He says, he brings a chazernish, which Rabbi Zafrani brings as well. He brings a chazernish. The chazernish says, you're telling me that if someone puts poison down in front of his friend's animal and the animal eats it, then the poisoner is putter because the animal, we blame the victim, the animal stepped into the, ate the poison on its own. I have a question, the chazernish says. Bar, digging a pit. One of the famous Arba Avas Mazikin, one of the famous four categories of tort in Pashas Mishpatim in the Torah. Someone digs a pit, fails to cover it, creates a hazard in a public space. Someone walks into it and gets injured, an animal or a person. He's chayev. The fellow who dug the pit is chayev. We don't say, well, you walked into it. Not my fault. I mean, I made the pit, but you're the one who stepped into it. So you should be chayev. I, mean, I, I should be potter because you're the one who walked into it. We don't say that. We don't, we don't blame the victim and say, you're the one who caused harm to yourself by walking into the pit. So why over here do we say that you're the one who caused harm to yourself by eating poison? What's the difference between the pit and the poison? What's the difference between digging a pit where we say the fellow who walked into it, Yorchayev, we don't say, well, he's the one who walked into it, and putting poison in front of your friend's animal where you say, he's the one who ate it, I'm not Chayev. What's the difference between the pit and the poison? So they bring in the Chazonish who asks this question, and the Chazonish says, the animal never meant to walk into the pit. The animal meant to walk near the pit and walk, meant to walk on the ground around the pit. The animal never meant to cast itself into the pit. So even though it, it wound up doing that, but that, this is a, a very subtle distinction, but, they, but the Chazanish argues 
the animal did not deliberately throw itself into the pit. In the case of the poison, however, the animal did mean to eat this food or this substance in front of it. It didn't know it was poison, didn't understand that it was poison, didn't recognize it, but it meant to eat this thing. Therefore, the Chazanish explains, in the case of the poison, we consider that, that the victim actively brought the harm upon itself because it chose to eat the poison. It's not, it, it didn't understand that it was poison, obviously, but it meant to eat this substance that was in front of it. So that's called, it brought the harm on itself deliberately, not deliberately knowing that it was harmful, but the action that it took was a deliberate action, as opposed to the case of the pit, where the animal ever meant to fall into the pit. It meant to walk around the pit. It meant to stay on terra firma, near the pit. Instead, it fell into the pit. That's something it never even meant to do. So that's not called, the animal brought it on itself, and therefore the owner of the pit, the digger of the pit, is Chayef. Again, it's a subtle distinction. It's, it, it's, it, it's, uh, I'm not sure I fully understand it myself, but that's how the Chazanish explains the distinction. Now, working within this framework, now we have to see, finally, Rav Shmuel says, this is really the, almost the end of his pendulum, the end of his seesawing back and forth. Now we have to understand, now that we've seen all these Gemaras, the Gemara of the snake, the mission and the Gemara of the snake and the dog, the case of putting the deer on the tulip, the case of the putting poison in front of someone else, in front of someone else's animal, the case of digging the pit, after all these cases, especially the final two cases, the difference between poison and pits, now we have to, now we have to figure out what is the virus more similar to. Is the virus more similar to the case of the poison, where I put the poison, but you chose to eat the poison, you chose to ingest it, that's not on me? Or is it more similar to the case of the pit? You dug the pit, the animal never meant to fall into your pit, but it did because your pit is dangerous. It's not the animal's fault. The animal didn't choose to do that. So that's on you. You're chayef. So which one is the virus? Rabbi Shmuel is inclined to, is inclined to the view that the virus is more similar to the pit. I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I, I think you can make an argument that the virus is more like the poison. He thinks the virus is more like the pit. He thinks that the person who clicked download or open or whatever he clicks on his email to, when, when he gets this uh, fraudulent email, this malicious email, he thinks that he meant to open a real email, a, 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 an email that has useful and entertaining information. He didn't mean to open a virus-laden email. That's like the pit. He never meant to fall into the pit. I would have thought that's more like the poison case, where the animal or the meant to eat tasty and wholesome food didn't mean to eat poison. Poison might be tasty as well, but it's not wholesome. The animal didn't really want to eat poison. Shach talks about a case where poison is mixed with the food. Shach has the same din. Again, the animal meant to eat the food, not the poison. So I might have thought that that's more like the case of the email. Rashmal is more inclined to say that the case of the email is like the case of the pit, just as the animal never meant to fall into the pit. So too, the, the person never meant to download a virus. He meant to download legit email, not virus email. Therefore, Rabbi Shmuel says, it would be more like the case of the pit, less like the case of the poison. And therefore, Rabbi Shmuel argues that the, the din of Havla Shlotolcha would not apply. According to the Chazanish, this would be more like the case of the, the, case of the pit. And therefore, he's inclined to say Chayiv. However, at the very last moment, he pulls back once again, and he says, self called self, he's not convinced that it's really, it's really entirely like the, like the pit and not like the poison. He says, self called self, there is, after all, an action by the injured party to bring the Nezek on himself, even though he didn't mean to. Even though he didn't mean to, he says, but at the end of the day, just like eating the peros, the victim did it actively to himself. 
he chomped down on the payros, the animal chomped down on the, on the produce and brought, ingested the poison in the system. And here, too, he clicked on the, he clicked on the, even though it's not exactly the same as Paris, he fails, it's self called self, he brought the virus into his computer by clicking, by opening, he says. At the end of the day, he's not entirely convinced that you could be Mikhaev, the, the sender of the email, for sending this malicious email. Now, finally, he says, this is the end of his own analysis. Finally, he says, he consulted Rav Mendel Shafran. Rav Mendel Shafran is a leading, very distinguished Dayan in Eretz Yisrael. I, I'm not that familiar with his work, but uh, from what I have seen, I, I actually find his, uh, his, his way of thinking pretty attractive. I find it to be uh, you know, intuitive and wise. But uh, the flip side of that is that his conclusions sometimes, uh, they seem intuitively correct, but not always... Uh, not always entirely uh, deductively rooted in sources. Nevertheless, he, he, his positions seem imbued with, uh, you know, with, with wisdom and Torah. So, to the limited extent I'm familiar with them, in this case, Rav Shafran says something very interesting. Again, he's grappling with the crucial question, how do we understand why when you dig a pit, you're chayev, even though the animal walked into the pit on its own? When you put poison in front of someone else's animal, even though the, then, then your patrick was... The animal, the animal should have, shouldn't have eaten it. That, that, that's, that's animal. We blame the victim. What's the difference? What's the difference between pits and poisons? Rav Shafran says a different distinction. It doesn't sound like it's the Chazonesh. He says his own distinction. He says anything the victim does as a matter of routine, without thinking about it, acting automatically, without conscious and deliberate thought, for that we blame the Mazik. We say it didn't intend to do anything. It just acted routinely without any particular thought. Then we tell the Mazik, you are Chayev. But in a case where the victim's actions were deliberate, then we say the mazik is off the hook. Then we say, Rav Shafran explains, an animal walking through the street, a person walking through the street, you don't consciously decide where to put each foot, exactly where to walk. But obviously, you walk with your eyes open. You, on some level, you're paying attention. You don't want to step into potholes. You don't want to step into uh, things animals leave on the street, and so on. You don't want to trip over bumps in the sidewalk, and so on. But that, that's like a semi-conscious process. You're not making uh, conscious, deliberate decisions every time you put a foot down. Therefore, Rav Shafran says, we don't look at that as a deliberate action by the victim. So if the victim is just walking and doesn't see the pit, and he walks into the pit, the mazik is chayev, because we don't say that the victim made any deliberate decision to step into that pit. But anything that does require a deliberate decision, like eating, you don't just eat on autopilot. I mean, maybe there are some people who do, who just graze and kind of just eat whatever they see without thinking about it, but most people... Before they put food into their mouth, they, they think about it. Do I want to eat this? Is it a, am I hungry? Does this taste good? Do I, do I need something to distract myself from my work? Whatever it is. Most people uh, exhibit more of a level of conscious decision-making when they put food into their mouth. Therefore, Rav Shafran says, putting food into your mouth, that was your decision. Even though it's not your fault, you didn't recognize it was poison. In that case, we blame the victim. That's Rabbi Shafran's distinction. He says that the... He says that... We always have to ask ourselves, is there a conscious, deliberate decision, conscious, deliberate action by the victim, in which case the mazik is not chayev, or is the victim just acting uh, by routine, acting out of habit, acting uh, semi-consciously, semi-subconsciously, in which case the victim, is, the victim bears no responsibility and the mazik is chayev. In the case of the poison, the, where the animal has to choose to eat, the mazik is off the hook, in the case of the pit, the person just walks and doesn't consciously decide to step into the bar, 
step, doesn't decide to consciously make a decision, I will put my foot down, I won't put my foot down, and therefore the mazik is chayev. Says Rav Shafran, based on this distinction, the case of the virus he fails is chayev. It is more like the pit. He says, when you open an email, that's more like walking down the street. He says, you don't, I guess, you know, the modern age, technology, used to be maybe an email was a big deal, you would make a conscious decision to now, I will now open this email. He, Rav Shafran fails, I don't, know, I don't know when this is written, a decade or two ago, he says, opening email is a matter of routine activity, he says. He says, it's like walking, you just, you know, you have emails, you just open them up, you don't decide, should I open this email? No, I won't open this email. That's not the way you think. Sometimes you'll say, I'm busy, I'll do my email later, but the point is, it's like walking, you know, you don't make a conscious decision each email you open, he says, and therefore, and therefore, again, a, a very subtle distinction. I mean, when I, when I have a bunch of emails, I sometimes decide which ones I want to open first, which ones I want to save for later, which ones, well, I'm busy now, I won't do it now. But again, when you walk also, it's partly conscious, you know, you don't, people sleepwalk as well, but when you walk, you know, you decide, is there more sun here, is there shade here, is, this, is the sidewalk bumpy here, is there too many cicadas on the ground, or whatever it is. So people do make decisions on where to walk as well. So again, it's a fairly subtle distinction, but it's an intuitively, uh, it's an intuitively uh, sensible one. So that's what Rav Shafran says. We have to look at whether the action of the victim is just routine, matter of course, uh, or whether it involves conscious decision-making. Rav Shafran feels that email, opening email, does not involve conscious decision-making, and therefore we lay the blame, the, the formal legal blame, solely on the, at the feet of the person who sent the email, and therefore, and this is truly the final step of the, truly the final step of the, the main line of his analysis, that he seems to he seems to adopt Rav Shafran's approach that will say that he is chayev that the that the person who sent the email is chayev. Now Rav Shmuel has one final one final set of twists. Even after we accept that he's chayev, it's like a pit. We'll accept that it's like a pit. However, there's one more gotcha over here. There is a again very mysterious halacha in pits that we say. A bar is potter for niske kalem. A bar is only chayev sharvelo adam chamarvelo kalem. That a a bar a pit is chayev if an animal falls into it or if a human falls into it and is injured as opposed to getting killed. But you're not chayev for kalem. You're not chayev for inanimate objects, for utensils, for for inanimate property that falls into the bar. An animal, if an animal, for example, is carrying uh, a burden on its back, the animal stumbles into the bar. So you are chayev for the donkey, for the animal, you are putter for the kalim. You're putter for the inanimate property that fell in. The computer is an inanimate object. They haven't reached sentience yet. The computer is still just a machine, and the programs are just a machine. And therefore, therefore, says Rav Shmuel, if, if the mechayev is bar, if we're comparing it to bar, you should be putter for the kalim, you should be putter for the computer. And it's a shayla, whether it's aish or bar, but, he's, but he says it's a safek, it might be bar, and therefore he argues... Once again, the, even if Rav Shafran is correct that we view this like bar, you're still potter, because bar is potter for Caleb. Again, Yechayev Lassadeshamayim, he says, because self called self, you were Garim Hezek. That's actually a big machlokas. If you have a bar with Caleb, are you potter for Lassadeshamayim or Chayev? But he assumes that you're Chayev. That's actually a surprisingly unclear question. It's not the, throughout Babakama, we keep saying bar is potter for Caleb. It's actually not so clear whether Zechayev Lassadeshamayim or not. But the, he assumes that you're that you're chayev l'sedeshamayim. But bidine adam, in terms of whether Baston can find you liable, he says you are potter. And even if Rav Shifran is correct, even if he's correct that we view the person who sent the virus, we, we view him more like Bar and not like the person who put the poison. 
Nevertheless, you're going to be potter from Kalim, and you'll only be chayev, lotzitz edeshamayim. Then Rav Shafran has one final argument that maybe we can mechaif b'dini adam, because there's a halacha, even if you're only a gorim, even if you only cause hezek indirectly, normally there's a, there's a famous principle throughout Bavakama, throughout Shas, grama b'nizakin is potter. If you cause harm indirectly, you're potter. Nevertheless, there's also a counter-principle, an exception called Rabbi Meir is doen dina de garmi. There's a certain category of grama which is considered unusually, uh, unusually heinous, or, un, or there, there are other reasons to mechaev you, there's a certain subcategory of grama which you chayev, even though it's indirect hezek. What is that subcategory? A very, very difficult question to answer. Rishonim struggle mightily to try to find some pattern. The Gemara says in about a half dozen cases that grama is potter, and another half dozen cases that garmi is chayev. Gemara never makes the slightest effort to define the difference between grama and garmi, so the Rishonim tear their hair out trying to find some rule that will consistently explain why these half-dozen to, to a dozen cases are chayev and these other half-dozen to a dozen cases are potter. A very, very difficult uh, question, and it's very, very hard to find a satisfying and persuasive rule that satisfies all the cases. We, we understand why this set of cases is chayev and that set of cases is potter. Rabbi Shmuel does not really engage that discussion. He brings one shita, one shita of the Ritzbah. The Ritzbah completely abandons the, the effort to find a, a logical kind of legal principle to explain why certain cases are chayev and certain cases are potter. The Ritzbah introduces a magnificently pragmatic rule to explain why some are chayev and one are potter. He says, there's no, don't, don't spend your time, he says, trying to find a, an elegant, logical, legal distinction between the cases. Somehow some are more direct or more heinous than others. That's not the issue at all. It's a purely pragmatic distinction, he says. There were certain types of antisocial behavior, certain types of hostile actions, which Hazal felt were socially problematic. People were tempted to do them. They were common. There were certain cases that Hazal felt posed a real problem for the body politic. Therefore, those cases, Hazal said, you're chayat. Other cases which weren't so common, they weren't so relevant, they could be conceptually just as, uh, just as vile, just as uh, indirect or direct hezek, it doesn't matter. We're not making a profoundly legal distinction, we're making a practical distinction. Chazal decided to, that certain cases people need to be taught a lesson, we need some kind of deterrence, and therefore they said certain cases which were prevalent, Yerchayev, certain other cases which were more obscure, were, were less common, they said, you're potter, even though conceptually there's not much difference in between the two cases. Now Rabbi Shemal says, okay, viruses. You can't open the newspaper without reading about uh, some kind of uh, malware, some kind of uh, threatening, some kind of malicious online behavior. Mal- sending viruses is very common, he says. So we can argue that according to the Ritzbah, you'd be chayat, even though you're only a grama, because Chazal elevated a certain category of indirect hezek into the category of dina de garmi for which you're chayef. So maybe viruses are very common, he says. So maybe they should fit into this category of common, that it's a scourge and a plague in society. So that, that, that seems to very, very well fit, fit the definition very well of the subcategory of grama that Chazal said you're for, because people have to be taught a lesson. They have to be taught that you can't do this. Says Rabbi Shmuel, but it's not so simple. Why not? Because he brings that there is a, a crucial machlok sachronim had to understand the Ritzbah. When the Ritzbah said that there's a certain subcategory of grama, of indirect hezek, for which Chazal said that you're chayev, it may be 
that this, this is kind of uh, you know, the issue that comes up a lot in, in modern legal theory, whether, whether we adopt a, uh, a strict construction kind of, or whether we work with more of a living, uh, living body of law. He says, some posts can take the position, Chazal enumerated a certain concrete set of behaviors that they felt were problematic, and they said, Chayev. We can find new behaviors that in our time are just as uh, antisocial and just as common and, and a scourge in society, Chazal didn't, didn't have those behaviors, so Chazal never made those gzeros. They might have, had they, still, had they lived in our time, they probably would have, all right, but they didn't. Chazal only, Chazal only assigned liability for a certain static, fixed set of behaviors, the ones that existed 2,000 years ago, and emails were not around then, and therefore sending virus-laden emails, sending malware, is not chayef. Other acronyms say, no, Chazal established a principle. They established a general abstract principle. The principle is anything which is deemed to be a plague upon society, your chayev, even though it's indirect hezek, even though it's gorim. Each generation has to establish for itself what, uh, what's, considered a, uh, what's considered a plague on society. When the Constitution prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, do we look at what the founders 250 years ago considered cruel and unusual? They certainly didn't consider capital punishment cruel and unusual. Or do we say, no, cruel and unusual is a timeless, eternal standard, and every generation has to figure out, uh, based on its understanding of cruel, and, uh, of cruel and unusual, what punishments, maybe the death penalty today is, by, my, by modern lights, cruel and unusual. So the, the issue here is something, it's, it's a narrower question, but it, it's conceptually a, a somewhat similar question. When, according to the Ritzbah, the Chazal, 2,000 years ago, Chazal said, certain kinds of behaviors are intolerable, society cannot deal with, society cannot tolerate such behavior, and therefore you chayef for them, even though, from a purely legalistic standpoint, there's no real reason why they should be singled out. Did Chazal say, these enumerated behaviors are chayef, none other, no other ones? Or did Chazal say, we have a new principle, anything, which, any behavior which is sufficiently problematic for society is going to be chayev, even though it's only grama. Says Rabbi Shmuel, this is a machlokas achronim, some of the great early achronim. It's an unresolved machlokas, he says, and therefore, since the matter is not clear, we apply the usual rule, Basin cannot find liability if the halacha is a matter of suffolk. Therefore, now, this time, I, I promise, this is really the last line, Really, his bottom line of his conclusion, sof davar, benidon didon, in our case, bottom line, halacha lamaisi, he says, ef we cannot hold the sender of the email liable in Bastin, because at the end of the day, we have these various possibilities, and it might be like bar, and if it's like bar, we can't be mechaev for kalim, and even though some posts can say, the Ritzbah says, that for particularly societally problematic behaviors, chazal were mechaev, even for grama, but that's all, some say that's only behaviors the Chazal enumerated that were around in their time. At the end of the day, we have Sveikus involved. Therefore, it's a matter of Suffolk. We cannot definitively establish grounds for liability. And therefore, bottom line is, Halacha Lamaisa says, Reishmol, E.F. Shalachayev HaMeshalech, we cannot hold the sender liable in Beistin, Bedine Adam. Ulam, he says, but certainly, Roi Ma'od, Shishalam Certainly he has an obligation, a moral obligation to to uh, compensate his victim for the harm that he caused, and therefore, Ra'i Ma'od, he says, Bastin can't impose formal binding liability, but we can inform him, he should know, that it is highly appropriate for him to pay to fulfill his moral obligation, Lotzis Edeshamayim.